0: What do you do when you have a loved one who struggles with mental health or addiction issues? What I can recommend to you is you give us a call at CAST Centers. We're in network with most insurance providers. We're also out of network with a bunch of insurance providers. And even if your loved one or you is not appropriate for us, we will make a recommendation in your local city or hometown with the extensive resources that we have. So go to castcenters.com. That's C A S T centers.com. Check us out, give us a call, and we'll help you find the right resources. Back at Always Evolving, and I have Dr. Mel Poll with me. Dr. Mel, thanks for sitting down with me.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here in the rain.
0: In the rain. We're <laughs> in the rain right now. And, um, you know, you are a pain management specialist, you would say.
1: And truly, I I work with people with chronic pain. My background is I'm a family practice physician and an addiction specialist. And I got interested in pain because so many people in the day who were on opioids were getting prescription opioids for pain. And they'd say, what do you do about my pain after they were detoxed? And I'd say, I don't know. know, Right, Go back to your pain doctor, (laughs) which is a pretty piddling answer. So I got real interested in pain about 15 years ago. And That's become my area
0: of interest. Have have you seen that a lot more people are getting addicted to pain pills than before?
1: Well, you know, there's been a shift. Certainly 10, 15 years ago, everybody was getting lots and lots of pain pills because that was sort of the way of treatment. And then, of course, the overdose epidemic really took full hold and the government got involved. The CDC came out with guidelines. So there's been a shift away from easy prescribing, Mm. but there's still... You know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are dependent on opioids and they got on them because of pain
0: yeah you know i'm, I'm a recovering addict and i've, I've heard you've heard <laughs> are, you, are you you don't say I, it. you are okay. oh yeah 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 no and i'm happy to say it you know one thing that we see a lot is that a lot of relapses mm. are not coming from going to the bar yeah that a lot of relapses are coming from seeing a doctor and being prescribed something Mm -hmm. that then triggers Mm -hmm. that obsession to use and creates the illusion that it's the answer.
1: It's all kosher because it's doctor prescribed.
0: Yeah. And then what happens is it becomes so difficult for people in recovery to come back after a relapse Yes, because part of what recovery programs do you know you get a chip for 30 days 60 days 90 days one year and for a lot of recovering addicts they carry around that badge mm-hmm. of sobriety as a big self-esteem boost it's sure. like okay it sure. was a shitty day yeah. but i didn't use today right. and so right i've known a lot of people who have had 10 plus years mm-hmm. and they never come back yeah because of the shame and the Be- yeah
1: Yeah, it's it's a real conundrum because I mean I can't I go to meetings on a regular basis and I can't tell you how many people talk about their medications, and they say but it's medications prescribed by a doctor and in my head I'm saying oh dude you know that doesn't mean anything yeah you know it's not you need to be in the hands of a doctor who understands addiction who understands dependence who understands the potential which most doctors don't that if I take an opioid and I'm an alcoholic it can potentially trigger my brain in a way that I'm going to either want the opioids more or I'm going to relapse to alcohol or God knows what.
0: And, right. and, and
1: as you say, both happen. And it's real sad. I mean, and and I've treated a lot of people like that. And the interesting discussion is do I reset my sobriety date? Cause after all I haven't had a drink. Right. And of course I, you know, in, in my opinion and what I tell them is you set your sobriety date. The only one who cares is you. Yeah. Maybe your sponsor you know, do what, what's in your heart as long as you're being honest with yourself. And And there are a lot of people, Mike, who take these meds as prescribed. They're not getting high on them. They're not, you know, chewing them necessarily. They're not using illicit substances. They're getting a prescription and taking it to help relieve the pain. Mm. And, you know, they become often, they become dependent, often they become lost. And what I say is, you know, addiction one of the best definitions is it's the pathological pursuit of reward which I know well or relief hmm. and for these people it's pathological pursuit of relief and they do it in the face of all the dysfunctions that happen as a result of use but it's not the same as you know drinking alcoholically
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's clean time's a really interesting mm-hmm. um, thing right because I think a lot of people don't come back after relapses because of the shame yeah. and because of seeing their friends, wow, the rain's really pouring. Oh, it's pouring, I miss- Sophia, can you hear the rain through there? It's crazy. So uh, you guys are listening. That's the rain in California. In California. Yeah, in Los, in Los Angeles. Angeles. <laughs> West Hollywood.
1: Well, it's an atmospheric river or whatever the hell that is. Right, right, right.
0: I never heard of such a it thing. It is pouring. Yeah. It's interesting because the recovery support system of 12 steps or recovery yeah. means and such is the same. However, the traditions, like, they haven't been mended at all. Yeah. So, you know, one of the traditions is, like, anonymity, right? Mm-hmm. But meetings aren't necessarily that anonymous anymore. It's almost like, on one hand, the stigma went away, which is good. Which is a good thing. But on the other hand, it's yeah. not what it used to be, right?
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm not a student of the steps but, but or the traditions. But I, as I understand it, anonymity is about humility. It's, right. it's you know, not having my name associated with recovery because i'm a human and i'm an individual and you know on the other hand there's no that's six hands by now but you know to have a celebrity endorse recovery is impactful for people who are reluctant to get involved
0: right yeah so because i was even i went to a meeting last night and i shared and then i realized that there were a few people who were previous clients from cast at the meeting oh yeah and so immediately when I saw, all of a sudden my filter completely changed, of right? Of course, of course. Where I didn't dig in yeah. and get as vulnerable as yeah and as I could be, yeah. just out of fear that I'm not the perfect CEO. And yeah. Yeah. you know, it's like a weird Yeah, I got it. No, I totally get it. It's so strange because and a lot of them don't get it because of well, because of that or because of yeah like whatever or or, or how do you get humble when i mean because the reality is you got to work for recovery yeah. there's no shortcut you know yeah. everyone wants to take these shortcuts so they want to go on a mushroom trip or oh, let's you know and know go do, do ayahuasca or oh. or they want to like go somewhere it's that's a little psilocybin I mean, you know come on. yeah 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 like that's going to resolve my it's, spiritual yeah. bankruptcy right yeah
1: i mean the psychic change coming from a mushroom <laughs> literally farm yeah it's uh, that's a an area of grave concern for me because what look we're addicts and we'd love to have a easier softer way you know doctor prescribed yeah and and you know it's the same issue that we've been talking about with opioids but these these psychedelics they're disorganizing to brains and you know as as you know we see so many co-occurring mental illness and and substance use and you put a a dissociative anesthetic or or a uh a hallucinogen into those brains right especially unsupervised i i really i fear for the for the well-being of you know the community because the message is oh this is it you know there's science yeah. behind it and the J- journal american medical association just wrote an article about how great psychedelics are
0: i know yeah it's sophia do you need us to talk up because of the rain or no that's good yeah no it's 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 interesting in general the promotion of solutions for, for mental health addiction, you know, like I've, I found myself getting slightly annoyed with all the virtual ads for virtual therapy online. Sure. I mean, on, on television, right? So basically a company that has the most money can afford to run ads. Whereas like a great primary therapist could never afford to be, you know, paying a celebrity to endorse therapy. Now the problem is, we all know that depending on your disorder, Mm -hmm. it's really helpful to get a specialist. Mm -hmm. And when you're helping someone, we found at least like our our patients that showed up had twice as likelihood of staying sober as our clients who were in the online programs. Interesting. Because the data, I don't think says that. You know, there's some,
1: I've seen a study where Virtual treatment is as good.
0: I don't believe it. I, I, it's hard for I me to believe. I don't believe it. I th- I really believe it's yeah. being manipulated yeah, be- well, by
1: evidence. You know, be- any anything that's real is claims to be evidence
0: based. Right. Be yeah. You have to be wary because you're like, who funded this? <laughs> that's right. Evidence in this that's research. Right. That's right. And the reality is, it doesn't make logical sense. And I I believe I'm on a tangent today. I believe therapists have gone lazy, <sighs> and I I believe they've gone lazy because they they got through covid yeah they got the benefits of working from home and managing their own schedule yeah, you know. they want to charge the same amount of money right because they don't have to but for the patient get them out of the house yeah. give them a hug yeah i mean it, hold their hold them when they're like you yeah. know going through something show it can't logic yeah. it just logically i'm baffled lately by like this yeah the mental health industry becoming in my opinion not always so about the patient yeah well i mean we all have mixed motivations
1: right yeah i mean money's one comforts one sure i mean i i talk to lots of friends who are therapists and they say well i don't have to leave the house I right. save an hour right you know, that it's about them and the and the patient <laughs> likes it too you know i'm sure yeah but because they don't have to leave the house
0: they don't have to leave now, the house if they're
1: agoraphobic probably not it'd be good if they got it
0: right or or i can't imagine working with someone with an eating disorder yeah <laughs> you know and like having to do body work or you know i know therapists now are doing like emdr virtually over- and over i'm like the where's yeah. is there any study about yeah. it's just like no. covid made it so everyone's like this is convenient yeah. for yeah. me yeah. it really is i i totally agree and
1: i mean i i utilize virtual because uh, if it, i see patients both in in person and and virtually but it's it, you're right it is so much better to yeah be if you can somebody like, and touch them and right you know, being being able to there's a different connection than on a screen.
0: Yeah, and virtuals existed for a long time. Mm-hmm. So virtual, like virtual sessions, was never a new concept. Sure. sure. For certain, yeah. Types of like maintenance, yeah. Checkups, yeah. But like therapeutic sessions, yeah. it just never. seems a little weird to me that yeah. like it's. Yeah. I talked to therapy. My practice is so busy and I'm just doing it. Uh, and I don't from, go anywhere. And yeah. I don't go I've anywhere. Jamas all day. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, they're not paying for office space anymore. Right. But they're keeping the same. I would I would love it too. It's I It's a good get, deal. Yeah. yeah, it's a great deal. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm resentful, bitter, annoyed, or, or no. just judgmental or all of them. <laughs> well. There's something about it though that I, bothers me I lately. Understand. I understand. I mean, it's, it's so prevalent and it has been normalized. So I, I get it yeah i really do and i think because i think it with pain management for example mm-hmm. it is such a niche of what to to treat yes. right you have to understand a lot of elements of right. the pain what's real what's drug seeking what's not what's the real medical issue
1: i yes and no i mean i, I have a my philosophy first tell of all, me we don't call it pain management we call it pain recovery Cool. Because pain management is medicate or inject or operate. You know, uh, that's the medical system's response to chronic pain, all three of which are, are really inadequate. Yeah. The The first premise about chronic pain is that all pain is real. So mm. we never question anybody's report of pain. They have experienced a, you know, a decade or more of being misunderstood and sure. mistrusted by their physician, really? by their family. Yeah, because so, so what happens is somebody has a pain condition. Let's say it's a back pain. And they, go to, they enter the medical system. So the medical system is all about diagnosing and treating. So what's the diagnosis? Well, you test them, and then you do an MRI, and then you do a CAT scan, and then you do an MRI with contrast, and that yeah. didn't show. So then we do an epidural where you know you inject the spine with steroids, and that gives you very little relief, less than mm. 10% benefit costs about a couple, Uh, 3,000, Wow! come back for a second one. And then the doc does a radio frequency ablation, which is burning the nerve. And eventually if none of that works, they say, well, you have a stenosis here, you have a disc pressing, we're going to go in and operate on it. And what we'll do is we'll stabilize your spine with titanium rods. So you can't bend more than five degrees and you won't have any pain anymore. Mm. That works less than 25% of the time. So the patient comes back after all of this, no better, maybe worse. And the doctor says, I, you know, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. I fixed your back. You should be better. And then what's the implication is it must be, you must be making it up. Right. That's a disservice to the patient. Mm. It's a disconnect between the efficacious therapist. The, the, be- the most important thing that a therapist, whether it's a physician or a, a psychotherapist or a counselor can do is connect. Just mm. what we were saying, you know, in person better than online. And if you come in and you don't believe your patient, you immediately discount the ability to connect with that patient. Mm. So for the people who are listening who are therapists, start with the premise that the pain is real. Now, the second part of the equation is that the pain is real and it doesn't exist nearly as much in the body as it does in the brain. And it's the brain, thoughts and feelings, essentially the sensation of safety that's diminished Mm. Usually trauma survivors, 95% of our patients at the point who have chronic pain have serious trauma and, you know, they come to their life with some either ACE related inadequacy, you know, they had terrible childhood or they had this terrible trauma and now they're in this condition which is demeaning and it's anxiety provoking and it's fear inducing Mm. and they're angry and they're frustrated and they're depressed and that is chronic pain. Right, You know, maybe the disc is what started it. Maybe an accident is what started it. But the reality is they've got a, a, a miscommunication from the brain to the body. And the brain believes, they're not making it up. They believe that this is what's happening in their body. And there's a circuit that develops over the course of time so that it's it's really enhanced over time. It's It's reinforced. You know, I move this way and it hurts. Oh, it must mean that my disc is out of place. No, you just had a fight with your husband, mm. you know? That's where we start. Is you know just just you know show up, get present, and and get safe because people invariably, partly because of the medical system, partly because of family misunderstanding. If drugs are involved, it complicates matters. You know, don't get me wrong, but drug seeking for for a pain patient who has addiction is like saying somebody who has. Prostate problems is potty seeking, you know. I have to pee mm. because my prostate's enlarged. You know, it's a it's a condition. Well, people look for their relief pathologically because they're in so much distress.
0: But isn't there a point and where, like, so for example, from my understanding, if if I was addicted to opioids, mm-hmm. opioids, so I had disc replacement in my neck about four years ago. You want and- to complain about it now? <laughs> no complaints. Uh oh, you have a jiu-jitsu tournament this weekend, actually in so Orlando.
1: You're an active guy.
0: So. I'm gonna try to be an active guy. I'm like, you go, Mike, you don't yeah. stop. But um yeah. let's say I, I started taking pain pills mm-hmm. and it numbed out the pain. Mm-hmm. At the point I start to decrease the pain pills, mm-hmm. isn't it such that like the opposite effect is just naturally gonna come back? So yeah. I mean, if if we introduce opioids. You know, if it's
1: a broken bone, opioid short-term and off makes good sense. That's acute pain. For chronic pain, you know, three to six months or more that is not likely to end. Opioids is not a good solution. Mm. You know, they told us they were. They had studies. They had evidence that claimed that not only could you take opioids, you could take as much as you wanted. You could go as high as you wanted because you didn't become tolerant. All lies. Mm. And it was promoted. You know, this is the big lawsuits with Purdue Pharma. I mean, it was absolute bogus misrepresentation mm. of inf- information. But the message came, take opioids, take more opioids. If, you, if you're if you not getting relief, take more opioids. And then add a long-acting to a short-acting and, and beyond the, the rest of your life. And what happens in people who are on chronic opioids is kind of what you were implying. First of all, become tolerant. So the opioid doesn't work as good. Mm. So the only thing to do at that point is to be in more pain or to increase the dose. Right. And the doctor thinks increase the dose. At least they, it's better, but, but we used to think that. There's another weird thing, which is that there's a phenomenon called opiate-induced hyperalgesia. So opioids, when you take them chronically, they cause an inflammation in the brain. Mm. They cause more pain. And they, we've got studies on this. Mm. So taking opioids is, and, and increasing the dose is just a bad idea. And then lastly, as you said, if you take opioids and then you stop them, you're in withdrawal. Well, every t- and withdrawal is pain. So right. every time you're in between doses, if you're tolerant, you're essentially in withdrawal. So the life of somebody who's opioid dependent, who's taking them for pain, is more pain. That's the only way. I, I will You know, there are some people that take low dose opioids forever, no big deal. They don't have addiction. But we're talking about you know this group of folks who have become dependent and who have increased the dose in an attempt to get to be pain-free and it's become pathological.
0: What What is the best thing to say to someone that you're friends with or, you know, or parents as they get older, they end up in pain mm. to be supportive, but also, not engage in a conversation every single time, like well, no, that's yeah, yeah, right. Like, what is what's a good strategy for talking to someone who has chronic pain? So, at the point, we don't use the word pain very much. That's right, recovery. We no, no,
1: no. Oh. I'm sorry, no, but but the the word pain. You know, what's your pain score? We ask people what's their bananas like today, mm. so that it's really sort of a, a diffusion of the focus on mm. the pain because y- you look at pain. Pain increases. You know, yeah. whatever you whatever you attend to, just from a brain function, the more attention you pay to the pain, the more pain you'll have. So, and, and there's a basis for that. You know, we, you're distracted. You don't feel your pain, y- even if you're in pain. You get mm. engaged in an in, in interesting conversation. The pain is irrelevant. Well, how does that happen? It happens because your brain's equipped to suppress pain when it, when you don't need it. Mm. If you think if you think you need it. If you're convinced that I need that pain to protect me, then it will promote more pain. You don't need that pain to protect you. I mean, your disc probably didn't do, I, I don't know about your, but I mean, most of the patients I see with degenerative disc disease, that's like wrinkles. It just happens as you get older. You know, The spine mm. isn't as intact as it used to be. Mm. And it's no big deal. But if you get fixated on the idea that that degenerative, I had a patient who said to me, Doctor, my spine is degenerating. It's crumbling. Like right now, mm. I can feel it. I can rubs again. Well, that's all <laughs> bullshit. But that's the belief, right. and and it's not made up. They've been told that. They've been fed that information. So, a lot of pain recovery is unraveling that that false story. If you
0: how, will. yeah, how much of pain recover or would it be pain recovery? Is that yeah? Right? That's it. Would be about the real physical ailment that exists versus Fair. emotional 20
1: yeah. percent is physical. physical
0: so i find for myself mm-hmm. like heartbreak is like the most painful thing right and it just by the yeah. way it lives in the same part of the brain as right. disc disease right i know it's interesting what the rejection does disappointment yeah like
1: anger mm-hmm. you know not getting what you want uh, all the stuff that we learn how and, to deal and, with,
0: and what what I find is, I try to desperately figure out a way hmm. to not feel what I'm feeling, because yeah. at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I'm sitting in the feeling, I feel this way. Yes, I don't want to keep feeling this way, and the mind then tries to figure out a way. Yes, without let's say using you know yes. medication. Yes, to shift. Yes, what solutions do you have?
1: So. One of the things, uh, th- there's a guy in town, Alan Gordon, he works at the Pain Psychology Center. Okay. It's a cool place. They do outpatient treatment in, in conjunction, f- same philosophy as as what we do. And they do a thing called pain reprocessing therapy. But the, the essence of what he says is, if you apply, if you're looking to be pain-free, whether it's heartbreak or back pain, if you apply the energy that you would apply to jujitsu, you will be… A, an utter failure because be a what a failure. You will not be able to successfully eliminate your pain mm-hmm. by gris- gritting your teeth and, and squeezing your fists. Mm-hmm. The way you, the way to deal with that pain is to open your hands and take a breath, and allow whatever's there to be there for as long as it's there. And as, when we stop fighting, what we resist persists. Is a is a mm. you know a psychological expression. With people with chronic pain, a lot of the work is. Again, allowing the nervous system to find safety because mm-hmm. when we're on alert, we don't we don't get better.
0: So, what type of stuff when when you're in pain, mm-hmm. and you are whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, and, whatever and it is. The point has been made.
1: It's the same, right? Right. Yeah.
0: And and you're aware and you're alone, right? Mm-hmm. It's while in pain. It's quite difficult to go. I'm quite curious. Like now, sure. If we're in a group, yeah, it could be a little bit easier. But yeah. when you're when you're alone and you're you're feeling it, at, at least I guess perhaps the first step that I'm realizing is if I'm in pain, I need to immediately. I mean, I never like this word grace, but I have to have yeah. grace for myself, yeah. Yeah. or someone else has to, and. Yeah to realize this isn't a lack of growing right this is the opportunity this to grow this is growing yeah
1: you're in you're doing it you know
0: because it can feel the same right so yeah that's so what I that's that's what's so confusing well with growth
1: what yeah. i explained to to people including myself is that it's sort of like a spiral so if you're going around a spiral and you're moving in an upward direction every once in a while on the curve you're in exactly the same spot mm. But you're really not in the same. You're in the same spot, but you're on a different trajectory. So if yeah. you just sort of hang in there, you'll see. Oh no, you're 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 twenty years sober, and you have a whole different approach. There are similarities because you didn't get a brain transplant, right? You know, you, you still got those circuits, and and trauma circuits are highly entrenched in mm. our in our cells. You know, in our mm. not in, not irreversibly, but but highly entrenched. And what they actually showed in this study of the people that did pain reprocessing therapy is their brains changed. They did functional MRI scans of people's pain responses and they showed a change in the relationship between the part of the brain that alerts. So the insula, which is says, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong,
0: Mm.
1: became less connected to the prefrontal cortex, which is the thought sort of conclusion part of the brain. They actually measured changes and showed changes in glucose uptake in the brain after six weeks of therapy. So. And what type
0: of therapy is it?
1: It's there's five parts to pain reprocessing therapy. The first is education that this is as much or more emotional as it is physical. Mm. Very hard. That's probably the hardest part. Mm. I people get stuck there because like no, it's you know I had a patient who said, "Are you telling me my pain is in my head?" And I said, "Well, you have headaches, so like where else do you think your pain right. is?" Right? You know. Right. But it was like as if it was not real, mm. uh, and it is real. So the pain is real. But the emotions and thoughts drive it. So that's the educational part. The second part is getting data. So the Sherlock Holmes, you know, examining the facts. It hurts after I have a terrible conversation with, or I break up with somebody and, and my back hurts, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, so there's an association. I, I can sit through a ball game and fu- I'm fine. Mm. But when I, you know, I'm sitting through a conversation with my work partner, I'm, I'm in mm. excruciating pain. Oh, that's interesting. So- you know, and in your case, it would be what what's the emotional stuff that comes up. The third part is called somatic tracking, and it, it's a meditative process mm. where, and, and the cool part about that is that they say it's outcome independent. So it's not to get rid of the pain, it's simply to notice the pain, to track it, to, to make sure you understand that it, you're not in any danger, mm. you know, to allow yourself to see it, to allow yourself to believe it. The fourth component is... Identifying other issues like fear, anxiety, anger, depression, you know, other psychological, psychiatric illness. And the fifth is finding joy. So, you know, connecting with something positive that, you know, drives well-being.
0: Well, you, you so a lot of people will say whenever you're in pain, yeah, you should distract yourself. If it works, that's great. Got it. You know, just, but you've heard that, I'm sure. And it works. Yeah. And it works because
1: there's a part of the brain when we are distracted, it's called the periaqueductal grace. So there's actually a brain function to distract so that you can take care of business. You know, it's mm. the same thing that allows you to run out of a burning building with a broken ankle, you know, mm. or, or make a touchdown, you know, and then you deal with the, the pain. Mm. So we are capable of distraction. There are some pains that just can't be distracted from so the harder we try to distract and why doesn't it go away and this has got to stop is the the opposite you know and it generates more anxiety and angst and fear and frustration so which
0: which the theory then would be to remove triggers
1: if you can if you, you know. can so
0: but 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 for example if you're feeling i don't know going through a divorce sure and you're heartbroken over a divorce mm-hmm. if you're it may be that somebody really needs to change their lifestyle perhaps or Mm -hmm. move out of the house they're in or Mm -hmm. i mean mean,
1: if well, that's doable
0: if it's doable right
1: i mean that makes great sense there's a buddhist saying that if you walk on the earth and it's covered with rocks so you cut your feet and you hurt your feet the solution was to cover the earth with leather and then somebody came along and said why don't you just put leather on your feet right (laughs) you know because it's your your body that's feeling the pain so you know you can't i mean if you can get a person out of your house that you broke up with yeah you know Mm -hmm. by all means those are the practical nuts and bolts stuff but the feelings is what you're talking about and
0: uh yeah because the the pain is what creates for a lot of people revenge the pain is what creates gossip the pain like yeah yeah yeah. if it didn't like a lot of things that uh negatively impact perhaps someone else or yourself yeah is all clearly yourself you know is from pain often
1: in an attempt to get out of pain right yeah. but it's a futile get... attempt
0: but it never works no no because because from all your experience the like the five steps you mentioned mm-hmm. that's like the best practice i
1: think that it is yeah and and it and they've got data there was a study in actually the journal of american medical association that studied 150 people with back pain 50 of them got this treatment mm-hmm. and they had like Eighty percent reduction in their pain, and fifty-five percent of them had the same pain relief a, at a year.
0: Wow! And their brains changed. So, but, but how does someone do this who's listening who lives in you know Milwaukee uh, or you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, if they can't afford to come to the point, most yeah, people can,
0: right? Right, that's yeah, a luxury, high it end. There, there's Sorry. a book
1: actually. I mean, I have a book called The Pain Antidote. It, it it describes a lot of what we're talking about. The newest book is Alan Gordon's The Way Out. And it it describes in explicit detail this treatment modality, and then they they do virtual treatment, <laughs> so they can work with people in other states.
0: But they can't do therapy across state lines. They can't if they have a license. You know, it's if they're licensed some in some that state or yeah. whatever. So someone could get the benefit of that. They could. Or they could investigate. I'm not totally anti online. Omg- no, no, no. Like this, I ego, know. Well, I mean, if you're in well, If it serves a purpose, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about someone that's LA, like around the corner. I know. And, I, know yeah. I know. And staying in their pajamas. I, yeah, yeah, I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. But that's uh, it's really interesting that physical pain, that the majority of it really comes down to emotional pain because it's in the same part of the brain. Correct. And that a lot of people will spend time perhaps that it could be needed to go to physical therapy or
1: you know there's no harm certainly moving your body is really important and moving it with a skilled observer you know trained person is a really good idea so it's a trainer or a a physical therapist or a chiropractor but to think that that's going to be the solution is unrealistic
0: yeah like i was with a friend over the weekend and he um he's young i mean he's 30 years old and he has a back pain like herniated disc Mm -hmm. right and it was interesting because i kept talking to him and i was like dude let's figure out a way to like get you out of pain like what do you there's there's other i i in my gut it just felt like he was looking at it defeated now yeah like really defeated because he felt like he went to physical therapy nothing nothing had nothing changed he doesn't feel any better it's been six months
1: yeah so that's that's a chronic pain syndrome and he i mean if if i was his friend i would tell him to look at his Thoughts and feelings related to, and and really investigate the way out. The book, um, mm. uh, it, it doesn't. People don't resonate. They want to. They want a physical explanation. They want to fix. You know, Be, and people get pissed when I talk to them often because it's like you, you know you're discounting the the, the the what's wrong with me. Right. I, I think. I mean, on a broader scale, I think the whole medical system is messed up because we look for a physical solution. And we neglect the fact that thoughts and what about diabetics? What about people with heart disease? What about people with, you know, and then there's these pain conditions. We see at the point, irritable bowel syndrome, interstitial cystitis, Mm. chronic headaches, you know, conditions that are debilitating. And I've had patients that I've treated and within a short period of time, they get the message, they believe it because they want to get well and they start doing the work and their pain is virtually gone,
0: Mm.
1: virtually gone
0: how much training do doctors have in addiction
1: oh in addiction
0: like how many weeks or what's typical there's not even weeks huh hours that's it
1: now there was a study it's quite a number of years old so i don't know what we would say today in medical schools but i can tell you that it was like an average of two hours over the course of a four-year curriculum really and when we bring them because i'm part of the addiction medical establishment if you will and, mm. and when we bring recommendations to include that in medical schools the medical school response is typically we have so many things that we have to cover you know we just don't have any more time we they get it in psychiatry well no you really don't it's no. not like most psychiatrists That's
0: what that I've always thought that a bit odd that like a primary care physician I heard this, I don't know if it's still true, but they were the largest prescriber of antidepressants. <laughs> That's what I heard. It's probably And true. Yeah. But it's and it's kind of like- interesting because if you didn't study the brain, yeah. It's well, like it's like it, yeah. it kind of puts people in a hero role, but they're not like yeah. It would be like like I my my I did interventions for years. I I did all different types of interventions and it would be there's so many things that are out of my scope, mm-hmm. and I suppose that's really just what our hope is with
1: with docs. Yeah, less so. You know, I mean, you, to get a medical degree, you can do neurosurgery. I mean, you don't have to know how.
0: Really? Yeah. You you probably
1: wouldn't get privileges at a hospital to do it. Right. But with a medical license, you can do whatever you want. Wow. So, yeah, I, I mean. You know, I'm a family doc. So in my medical practice, I prescribed antidepressants. How much did I know about the brain and how much did I know about antidepressants and how they worked? Not that much. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I did an okay job. See, I I don't think medication for depression is the answer either. Mm -hmm. It may be adjunctive, but you got to connect with the patient. You got to. I mean, people who are depressed have to change, Mm -hmm. you know, and they have to be helped to change Directed the same as the kind of folks we're talking about, or or with addiction. So to think that a pill is going to fix mm-hmm. a dysfunction in fifty billion brain cells with thousands of chemicals and trillions of connections
0: is absurd. Yeah. Well, Doctor Mel Paul, where can everyone find you? Like, what's the best way to? Is... Uh,
1: I work at the Point mm-hmm. uh, in Malibu. PointMalibu dot is our website. I actually have a website too. It's pretty puny but it's drmelpole.com
0: p-o-h-l okay
1: my email is mpole at the point malibu.com got it yeah well thanks mel for coming on always oh, Evolving and connecting for, uh, with me and for uh connecting
0: with me that's yeah you appreciate. know and and uh i think it's a it's a great resource i think this is an under talked about yeah. uh, subject matter that affects millions of and people.
1: misunderstood you misunderstood, know i mean that that's yeah. that's my my interest is in straightening it out and you know i get kind of cross-eyed looks when i start talking about it but people get it you know just kind of like you were able to identify and relate i mean it's it is true you know it is true that the majority of the experience of pain is living in our brain and we can modify that can't do much about a crushed disc yeah you can do a whole lot about your fear and your anxiety and your anger
0: yeah well thanks dr mel pleasure And uh, everyone, make sure you click to subscribe, rate this podcast episode, shoot me a DM on Instagram at Coach Mike Bear. Let me know what you thought. Until next time, keep it magical.